You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. Good afternoon, Bruce. Nice to see you today. How are you? Good afternoon. Uh, Doing good. Uh, How about yourself? You know, I'm doing pretty good. It's starting to warm up over here. When I say warm up, I mean like warm up. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's starting to get hot, that kind of thing, which means all Mm -hmm. the cold weather is finally going away. I've I've been screaming and complaining because it's been rainy and cold and dreary and gray and all that stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of it. I'm done. Just give me hot weather. Give me sunshine just give it all to me and so it's here now and now i just want air conditioning <laughs> it's, right. um, yeah it's it's like yeah okay all right whatever but anyway all right so where would you like to start today because i've had some thoughts going around my head and well, i suppose we could kind of work that into some points later on throughout the hours we're talking here or however long it goes but on what um, i want to do tomorrow because what we're seeing in the united states and in parts of europe what we're seeing is a particular movement. We touched on it yesterday a little bit when we were talking about the extremist revolution. So I think as we progress in today's conversation, we're going to kind of make reference because I had an idea and I think I know what we can do tomorrow that would kind of shed light on what the underpinning of everything is. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we go on. So where would you like to start today? Maybe we should start with uh, the AOC bit since we talked about it yesterday. Just kind of... okay. Get that one out of the way. I'm assuming that's the. Uh, I'm. I'm sorry. That, I'm assuming that's the. Um, the thing with the the Trump rally in Tulsa. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. from what you showed, from what you showed me in that, or from what you showed me in that article, it's essentially it is that, isn't it? They did reserve the tickets, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's both of that, right? So th- there's two things to it. There was a bunch of people that were falsely reserving. Uh, you know, their tickets, which that's where they were expecting large numbers of people because uh, people on TikTok and whatnot were, were flooding the Trump campaign with the, the, the fake reservations. Now, to add to that, part of the reason we didn't see people actually brought in from outside because there was a lot of people waiting to get in, you know, overflow. Part of the reason that didn't happen is once the rally started, the people that were taking the temperature of all, all admissions, they left. So... The Secret Service said, yeah, nobody nobody else gets in now because, you know, we're not able to to vet the people coming in. That's why we didn't see an, uh, the, the stadium get filled up during the during the rally. So it was just a security thing then, right? That, that's all it was. Yeah, it was a security thing with the, just, you know, kind of a both security and because I honestly I can understand not wanting to let people in late, you know, because then that opens the door for problematic people's coming in, you know, potentially. But also the whole COVID, you know, keeping that, you still have to worry about a scandal with that or something, you know, so. Well, that's too bad. That's a shame because, I mean, how how low can you go, right? How, how low can you go? So, oh, well, I guess I'll just catch him on the next one. No TikTok reservations on the next one. How about that? So I'm not even familiar with TikTok. I don't even know how that thing works. So, or, or is that just how, she, was she on there bragging about it or is that what, the, is that what it is? They were using that to organize the idea. Um, TikTok? TikTok is kind of like. Yeah, TikTok's kind of uh, you know that's a Twitter short video slash thing. YouTube. Yeah, it's 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 a short video sharing app. Yeah. So, is there anything else on that? 
no, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, not to be outdone, there's an article out today that says that Trump strategically stretches the truth to manipulate the media, right? This is coming from a former advisor of his. And they're saying that it comes from uh, Casey Mulligan, who served as the chief economist of Trump's Council of Economic Advisors from 2018 to 2019. They said that Trump began with a now familiar strategy for getting the press to cover a new fact, which is true. That's what he does. That's that's mm-hmm. what the tweeting's all about, which I kind of, yep. you know, I I'm six to one half dozen to the other on the on the tweeting thing. Just stop. Right. Just just knock it off, which is to exaggerate it so that the press might enjoy correcting him and unwittingly disseminate the intended finding. Okay, so this is what he does. He does it on purpose. And this is what we've been saying Mm -hmm. all along when he tweets at like, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning, he's like, I'm really going to get him with this one. The the media comes straight out and that the, they don't like the tweeting. The media doesn't. I, I don't think they like it, but he does that in order to wind up the left. That's what he does. And so people that come out, like I hear people saying all the time, well, president tweeted this, president tweeted that. And I'm like, do you not see what's happening? Are you that dumbfounded that you can't, you can't pick up on this? And they just kind of sit there and say, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, he does that so people like you will scream about it. That's why he's doing it. See, I really don't care what Trump tweets. I really don't care. I think it should stop. But <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, I agree. I would prefer he didn't do the tweeting, but this is the guy America voted for. This is what they voted in. I mean, this is the kind of tactics and antics he uses. So I, I don't know. At one point, yeah, I, I would prefer he stopped. But at the same time, this is who they wanted. You know, uh, I mean, as far as, you know, instigating the media and getting them all up in a, it, it is, I don't know, it's comical. It's entertaining in one point, And it shows how messed up our media is, uh, corrupt our media is. And, you know, in one sense, I, I really like it. And in the other sense, I don't on a, on more of like a principal morals standpoint, you know, but the petty side of me enjoys it. Well, maybe one of these days he'll stop it, but yes, he does wind up, he does wind up the media and, you know, he does it on purpose. Like he, he does that on purpose because we were talking before we started, he's a celebrity. First and foremost, yep. he's, he's not a politician, right? He's just a he's a brash New York businessman. Now, I've dealt with the type, the brash New York business type. And you know something? They're all like that. The New York way is and, and this is politics, too. Right. The, the, but the New York way is someone gets in your face or someone demeans you in public. Then you do the same to them. See, this is why he doesn't work in the political world. He doesn't operate in that world. He's trying to put the business side of it from the New York standpoint into politics, and they find it abhorrent because he's giving it to them like you or I or anyone else with a half a brain on the streets would give it to him. This is the disconnect of the political class, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So they can't, not only can these, these idiots not take a joke, they can't see the world for what it really is. This is why Trump's popular. If you go and you listen to his speeches at his rallies, like in Tulsa, Right. I watched it. Mm-hmm. I watched part of it live anyway. And he's not on script. He's not up there giving some prepared speech. He's ad libbing the whole thing. Yeah. And he's being a it's comedian. A 
It's a, exactly. It's a show. He's being a comedian on top of it. And so when he was calling out the media, when he was talking about the water, did you see the, the bottle of water? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about the bottle of water. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. talking about how he's got, oh, well, he's got this disease. You know, possibly there's a neurological problem. His arm is shaking when he's trying, trying to take a drink of water. He says, I saluted 600 times. You know, mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. 30 push-ups and I reach over for my bottle of water at the gym. My arm's shaking a little bit. So if you're saluting 600 times, I would expect your arm to be a little bit shaky, just a little bit. And then he, t- of course, he takes the big drink of water and then he throws the rest of it off onto the side of the stage. That's right. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's just hilarious. But see, the media doesn't cover any of that. They'll cover like the smart ass comments and, and all that stuff talking about, how, oh, he's demeaning the people in the media and he's going after the pol- You guys are hacks. <laughs> You're hacks. You have no sense of humor. This is why they want memes banned because they have no sense of humor. The, the whole... COVID thing, right? That's that's the other thing. There was a joke that he told about, well, when you do more testing, you know, you find more people, you know, your numbers increase, you find more people infected. And so he's he's joked about telling his staff to slow down the testing. And now they have Fauci, he's been subpoenaed and he's testified, no, he's not done that. Like he did not tell his staff to slow down testing. He's he's we've ramped up testing. And when you look at the statistics from the beginning of June, we were doing more testing than any other nation per 1000. So, yeah, it, it's just it is quite comical. It's fun. Speaking of testing and this uh, this nonsense. All right. Burks, you know, the, the scarf lady, right? Dr. Burks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she uh, she's come back out. She's contradicted Trump. Right. She's telling governors to increase testing. Right. So she's she's going behind the the national team's back and telling the governors to just do it. So, I mean, look, lady, you've been incorrect the entire time. The same thing with Fauci. This is why you guys are sidelined, because you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're doing. Now, I'm not saying that I'm I'm being disrespectful to your credentials. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that you people are responsible for the destruction of the U.S. economy because we listened to you, because we entrusted you with your decisions and your recommendations based on data that was conjured up that we figured out later. But the damage was already done, wasn't it? So in her weekly call with governors, Burke said that her team had collected data. Okay, well, is this the same data that you used the first time around? Because all that was incorrect. That suggests an uptick in cases in people between the ages of 18 and 35. Is that because you're doing more testing and you're testing for genetic material and you're not testing for an actual virus? Is that what you're doing? And that state officials should continue to test that population to better contain the virus. Who are we kidding at this point? Who are we kidding at this point? And to ensure hospitalizations and deaths do not spike. Okay, so we have to make sure people don't go into a hospital. We have to make sure that deaths don't spike. Look, lady, I'm going to sit here and be practical. I'm not going to look at this through a political lens. And the average person isn't either. The average person wants this nonsense to stop and they want to get on with their life. Okay, so if people now this is going to be a hard line way of looking at it, but this is how you're going to have to start dealing with these people. If people in society start falling over dead in the streets, and I hate to put it like this, I'm, I'm sorry to put it like this, but people will get the hint on their own. They don't need nonsense numbers and ridiculous measures put in place to restrict their way of life based on falsehoods. This is how we ended up with this in the first place. So for good measure, she asked governors to enhance testing of workers in nursing homes. Okay, that part I can understand. That part I can get. And of individuals in Hispanic communities. Why there? Are we seeing a spike in Hispanic communities that we didn't know about? Because I haven't heard about that. Have you? Um, We've had other countries... 
south of yeah, us okay. that have had a really hard time with this. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's where they're at with that. But see, th- this whole COVID thing, okay, what this is, this whole mask wearing and uh, all this testing and all this, this temperature taking, all, all this stuff's nonsense. This is smoke and mirrors. It's smoke and mirrors. They don't care about public health. They do not care. What they want is the precedent to be set so they can have that agenda in society. They can have that that virus as like I said yesterday, as a virus works its way through a population, it thins out, it loses lethality. And we're looking at at numbers that are less than the seasonal flu when it comes to covid. Anyway, we were looking at that at the quote height of the, the covid contamination in the U.S. So as it continues to work its way through the population and as we open back up and people become more interactive of each other, that virus is then going to weaken. Any virus is going to do that. It's going to lose its lethality, but they want the precedent to be able to put the sanctions on and turn them off. So when you try to get back to a normal life, they'll say, oh, well, stop. We've got we got spikes in cases. We're going to have to dial it back. So they are then able to administer what happens in society. And then as you push back on it, they'll restrict that and then they'll squeeze tighter and then you'll push back and then they'll restrict it and they'll do that eventually. They'll It'll be a long process. See, they're trying to push this back onto people now because of November. They need something to carry them to November. They need something and they don't have it. The riots are not going to last until November. You've burned out everything in the cities. Are you going to go to the suburbs where people are armed to the teeth? Those people won't put up with it. So they need something else. They, they need to go another way. So they need to push. See, the riots were scheduled. That's the thing. The, the riot, they were hoping to keep the COVID lockdowns until midsummer. They were hoping for that. And then they were going to they were going to start to gradually release it. But then as soon as they did that, then they were going to trigger the riots. They had to trigger the riots two or three months early. So we're ahead of their schedule. They, they jumped the gun. So now they don't have anything to carry themselves to November. The riots were supposed to happen during the election time. That way they could say, oh, see, well, look at all this mayhem in the streets. We can't keep voters safe. We're going to. No, we can't do it. That was supposed to be the plan. But see, they had to trigger it two months early. People got restless. They started showing up at state houses with guns. And so they had to do something else. They had to shift. They had to shift gears. And this is what they're doing here. They're going to have to shift gears again. And so now they're trying to go back to COVID. But it's too late for that. The, the numbers aren't there. So what are they doing? Again, they've reclassified everything. They're saying, oh, these people are showing up at the hospitals and and we're getting overrun and we've got spikes in cases and we've got uh, lockdowns we're going to have to do again. No, no, no. We don't need to go that way. We don't need to go that way. People are going to have to push back on it. You want the COVID stuff to go away? Ignore them. That's the easiest way. You want the COVID stuff to go away? Ignore these people and live your life. Live your life. I got people telling me that, well, they don't know if they should go on vacation. You should go on vacation. This is precisely why you should go on vacation. What were we told after 9-11? After 9-11, that that terrible time 20 years ago, what were we told about that? After that happens, go out and live your life. Because if you stay home, you cower in fear, the terrorists win, right? You remember that, Bruce? Terrorists win? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is the same thing, isn't it? In a different context, you stay home, which is where they want you, then they win. Especially when we're talking about a lethality that's less than the flu, as I said before. And it's less than that now in the midst of all this. But see, they want that precedent to be able to, like I said, turn that on and off as time goes on because they have to have it for the election. They have to do something to prevent November from happening because they're going to get embarrassed again horribly. So I'm not entirely sure the way the article's worded right off the beginning, uh, where you were talking about the, she was going against the White House and whatnot and, and encouraging governors. 
I honestly think that is worded in such a way to reference the joke he told at the rally. I legitimately think that's all that they're they're trying to stir up this controversy that doesn't actually exist. And they're they're trying to make it seem like, well, the White House, uh, you know, Trump is saying we should not do more. No, actually, we're he's the one that's pushing for more testing. Like he's encouraging it. He's actually encouraging businesses to open up, too. But, you know, that's whatever. But past that, this is this is something they're using to try to basically they're trying to curb the, the election. They're they're trying to basically this is all a fight to get to keep Donald Trump from being reelected. That that's all this is. And it's it's quite despicable. It is like it's low. That is low. And they have to do something else, though. They have to do something else because this isn't going to keep up like this isn't going to keep up. People are not going to take being locked down again. You know, there's a there's a town over here that they're talking about locking down again and people just aren't having it. They're like, you know what? Just go away. Right. Just get lost. And that's what people are Mm -hmm. doing. Like the police are coming around saying, well, we've got to lock this town down. And people are like, get lost. Get out of here. We don't have time for this. We got we got stuff to do. And so they're having to push back now. And it's, it's, it's just crazy. So, like I said, you want all this stuff to stop. You want this covid stuff to stop. Live your life. Forget these masks. That's just an attitude of control. That's subjugation and control. That's what that is. Those masks. That's nonsense. There's not like I said the other day, there's not a single published paper out there. Not one that says that those things are effective. Not one. They know it's bull, but they're going to continue to push it anyway. So anyway, all right. Speaking of COVID, there is an Arizona megachurch that says they're going to host a Trump rally. They claim that there's an air filter that zaps COVID-19. Didn't you do it? Um, I mean, when we were talking about it, when we were initially talking about this, didn't you say that there was a way for air circulation systems to actually zap COVID-19? Didn't, didn't you say that there was a way to do it? It's theoretical. Yeah, but it's not. I don't know of anybody that's actually doing that. So basically, UV light, uh, specifically UVC, I believe, is what kills the virus. And kill is obviously the wrong word. It, it destroys the virus. The virus isn't actually alive. But anyway, it, it destroys the, the DNA. And if they were to use that with the air filtration system to try to purge the virus, plausibly it would work based on what they're saying. I don't really know. But I've not seen anything on the market that does that, that that is a filter and a UV light. Let me see. There's an epidemiologist, right, that's come out and he says that this is absurd and it will not protect you. Uh, An Arizona State University epidemiologist, uh, he said Dream City Church, which is that's where this is in, in Arizona, didn't respond to an email request and comment. The clean air expert system built by a Phoenix based company of the same name is a combination filter unit and sensors with a building's existing air conditioning. Clean Air Experts claim on its website that its product can clean indoor air of allergens, pathogens, odors, smoke, mold, ozone, and harmful chemicals, which some of that stuff, you can do that in an air filtration system. I mean, that's what it's for, right? Yeah. Basically, those are, what the air filtration does is it it's more or less stopping it from traveling through there. Uh, because of the 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 size of the the virus or the pathogen and the size of the the, uh, the it's micron levels, right? The the problem is is HEPA filters um, and some of the the emergency medical teams masks, you know, that they use in like hospitals and whatnot. The micron level is not small enough, not fine enough, you know, not tight knit enough to stop uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 specifically. We've talked about it before. The masks, HEPA filters, they have a micron rating of 0.3, and the virus is anywhere from 
0.14 to 0.18. All right. Well, so you know what? I hate. I, can we just can we not talk about this COVID stuff? Like, I'm so sick of this nonsense. It's like we we go a week. There's no COVID. And then now it's back. Right. All this stuff. Right. They're building that stuff back up. Right. So much so mm-hmm. that the EU says that they're possibly going to ban travel from the U.S. as it reopens borders, citing coronavirus failures. Are you serious? Like, are, are, you, are you being serious? Right. The European Union countries are rushing to revive their economies. Well, what'd you shut them for? Sweden's doing fine. They didn't really close here per se, but they kind of did. I mean, they, they still had businesses that were open and, and such. But see, now things are kind of going back to normal anyway. So what? We're going to ban travel from the U.S.? Well, the U.S. stopped flights from, from the EU, supposedly, right? But you could still get a flight in some cases. We've been able to fly back and forth from the U.S. to the EU as American citizens. So what about those of us that have residencies in two countries? What about that? Well, yeah, that's I mean, absurd. That's absurd. Well, it, it is absurd. But the thing is, is when they do these travel bans, usually there's um, exceptions for like business travel or, you know, emergency cases or what have you. So and the fact that you're, you're an American in another country, technically, you would still be able to to travel. So that's true. You can still you can get flights if you have to. Like I've been getting emails all the time. Oh, you got to get a flight. You got to get well, four. Why is there a, is there a nuclear bomb going to go off somewhere? It's like that. They I swear to you, I get emails from U.S. Consulate General and stuff like that every time that there's a, a thing going on. And it's like I, I read down through that stuff. And I seriously like are people really that far gone? Like, it, w- the way that they're explaining stuff are people that far gone? Because when I read those emails, I feel like I'm being talked to like I'm seven. That's the kind of feeling I get when I see that stuff. I mean, some people require being talked to like they're seven. Man, it's that's that's just that's bad. That's bad. So these polls, right, these presidential polls, they're still going out with this stuff. They're just talking about how Joe Biden's still up with a commanding lead that's nine and a half points. And he's 14 points on this other one. And he's up to nine point two in a five thirty eight poll. Trump's only got a 30 percent approval rating and it's plummeting, according to Gallup. So what's the deal? Is he leading? Because I think he is. Is he actually leading? Or is he falling behind? Because I don't think that he is. They need it to appear that he's actually falling in the polls. They need it to appear that he's losing popularity. But he's actually not. He's gaining it in the midst of this flailing of of the extreme left, isn't he? With all the riots in the streets and businesses being burned out. That's not helping at all. You think you're going to push more people to the left? See, this is the biggest fallacy of people that are in the Democrat Party. Trump got elected. See, they don't understand how this happened. They're still in shock. They're still in shock of how this happened. And it's simple. He went to the American people with a clear message. And the Democrats can't do that. They don't know how to do that. So they automatically think, well, since he appealed to flyover country, right, which is the part where we come from, when he appeals to flyover country, the Democrat Party thinks that that is radical. They think that we're the radical ones. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. So what do they think? With the media on their side and hyping it up, they create because they like with the with the extremist movement, rather, it doesn't matter what side it comes from. You have to have a dialectic. Right. And the dialectic is you have to have the struggle. You have to have the arguing, the two opposing points contradicting each other and then warring with each other. That's the point of it. That's the point of of Marxism when it comes to that. And this is precisely what they're pushing. So they have to have that opposing side and they don't have it. The extreme left, they don't have that opposing side. The extreme right's not there. So what are they doing? They're branding the Trump movement as that extreme movement when in fact it's not. 
It's a benign traditional movement in the middle. That's what it is. It's a restoration movement. Make America great again. It's not an extremist movement. All Trump wants to do is get us back to where we were. See, when Trump went in, he thought, I'll just get the economy fixed and and uh, you know everybody will just fall in line. Uh-uh. Their plan, Mr. President, has been to sell that country out for the better part of a century. That's been the plan. And he just kind of he kind of screwed all that up, giving people hope, that kind of stuff. Remember hope and change? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they need to have that extremist element on the other side and they don't have it. So what do they think? What do they think? Do you think that the Democrat Party, Bruce, in your opinion, do you think that the Democrat Party has become more radical in the last three and a half years? Uh, yeah, definitely. OK, so why do you think they've gone to that step? Because when Trump was elected, right, he everything. I mean, you saw you saw the buildup right to the Trump election. You saw the buildup. He's going to lose. There's no point. Hillary's ahead in all the polls. Uh, don't even bother coming out to vote. And what happened? Landslide. Right. I mean, landslide. I woke up at 7 a.m. and I ran downstairs and I flipped the TV on and I looked at the results and I thought, oh, I said, oh, my God, it was a landslide. There's no way they could have stolen it. Not with a landslide. And so they think the the Democrat Party, they think that that is an extremist movement that brought that change. And so now they're of the opinion that they need to be even more radical than that when, in fact, it wasn't. This is how far gone they are. They think that they need to be even more radical in order to win over society, to get them on their side, to have the same result in the opposite way politically. Right. And it's not going to work. What it seems like. Yeah. 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 It's not going to work. That is not going to work. They think they have to be the radical, the crazy and all that stuff. When, in fact, all you're doing is you're embarrassing yourselves. You people are a disgrace to America. You're a disgrace. Look at the way that you're behaving. Look at what you're making people do. Look at who you've allied yourself with. You've turned your back on America. You've turned your back on we the people. You've turned your back on all of our founding principles. You're a disgrace. You are disgraced. And you, you parade around up there like you're, you're the liberators. You're the one that believe in equality. You're the ones that believe in, in freedom and in justice. You don't believe in any of that stuff. You don't believe in any of that stuff. You don't believe a thing that you're saying. And I'll tell you something else. The system that you're advocating for, the system that you're intent on overthrowing and replacing it with, that system, as sure as I'm sitting here because I know history and you people clearly don't, you clearly do not, that system doesn't allow people like you to operate. Why? Because all of you with your rhetoric, your varying degrees of propaganda that you put out, you become possible counter-revolutionaries in that system. And for those that know history, be it Soviet Union history, Russian history, German history, Cuban history, Pol Pot's Cambodia, Mao's China, what happens to counter-revolutionaries? Almost instantly, when the revolution takes its prize, almost instantly, what happens to the counter-revolutionaries? In Cuba, under Castro, it was the same day when he marched into Havana. What happened to the counter-revolutionaries? Not only were Batista's men and administrators taken out on the beaches of Havana and shot, but the possible counter-revolutionaries of Castro were lined up next to them. So you people don't get to exist in this next system if you're indeed successful, which I don't think you will be, by the way. But you people, you're fools, every last one of you, because you don't know even your own history. If you knew history, if you knew what you're fostering, if you knew the type of movement that you're actually advocating for and that you're giving cover to, to a large extent, 
then you wouldn't believe in any of it. But see, that's how far gone they are. That's how far gone they are. So tomorrow, tomorrow, what I want to do, and Bruce, you and I can sit down and mark down points and and things like this we want to cover. But tomorrow, what I want to do, I want to talk about Marxism tomorrow. And I want to talk about the fundamental... Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to say Marxism. I'm going to say socialism because social all socialism comes from Marxism. Every bit of it. I don't care if it's if it's communist. I don't care if it's fascist. I don't care if it's just the the what's the what's the term Bernie Sanders like democratic socialism. Hugo Chavez's Venezuela, Castro's Cuba. I, I don't care. So tomorrow I'm going to talk about socialism and what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the structure of socialism, the underlying structure. And then we're going to talk about the structure of how their rank and file members are, their leadership, their members, and then the ones that are not even members. We're also going to talk about the ones you don't see, because I think all this is relevant to what we're seeing, because this movement that's happening in the U.S. right now, this is at its foundation, a Marxist movement. It's a Marxist movement. That's where it comes from. If you go through and you read the charter, you read the stances, the the ideological beliefs of a lot of these people, a lot of these individuals, a lot of these groups that are coming out. Well, if you know Marx, which most people do not, I'm sorry to say, if you know Marx, if you know the writings of himself and of Engels, if you know Lenin, then you can see this coming a mile away. I know precisely what this is. As soon as I saw this, as soon as I saw what was happening in the US, I said, that's that, that's it. That's like, that's the revolution. They're going for it now. All this stuff, they're pulling down statues. All that comes from Mao, all of it. And so the extremist revolution is here. The cultural revolution is here. And tomorrow we're going to break down how they structure their organizations and how they structure their membership. And maybe that will shed some light on maybe gaining some understanding in all this. Possibly. I don't know. What do you think, Bruce? Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. Hopefully it, hopefully it does just that and uh, informs people, you know, so they can see what's going on. Okay. How did I go from Trump polls to that? <laughs> How did I get into that? COVID-19. COVID-19. Okay. So, uh, all right, let's 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 get into some other stuff. But yes, tomorrow I, I want to cover all that stuff. I, I think that's going to be a great conversation. So hopefully I don't ramble too much. However, Chicago, we talked a little bit yesterday about Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are text messages floating around urging Chicago police officers to call in sick and limit arrests in what they're calling a blue flu. Have you heard of a blue flu? Yeah. So blue flu is just basically it's a phrase or slang to encourage officers to call in sick. Basically, it's more or less their modern day form of saying strike uh, in this in this case. The text told officers not to volunteer to work on days off to limit arrests and to call in sick in order to make a statement to Mayor Lori Lightfoot and to the city council about how much officers are needed. You know something? We heard the call of the alderman in Chicago, and mm-hmm. we heard the stance of what the mayor had to say, just for the sake of it, J- just for the sake of it. I'll tell you what, let's let's listen to that call, because they're talking about sending a message to city council members. Now, I'm not saying that all city council members are thinking the same way that this particular one is thinking, but he's concerned about what's going on in his district. And they're on a conference call with Mayor Lightfoot. All right. I want you to listen to this. Listen to what this alderman is actually saying. Half our neighborhoods are already obliterated. It's too late. We have to come up with a better plan because once my fear is once they're done looting and rioting and whatever's going to happen tonight, God help us. What happens when they start going after residents? 
going into the neighborhoods. Once they start trying to break down people's doors who they think they got something or, you know, we know that people are here to antagonize and incite and you've got them all pumped tonight. Today, they're not going to go to bed at eight o'clock. They're going to turn their focus in the neighborhoods. I've got gangbangers with AK-47s walking around right now, just waiting to settle some scores. I think you're 100% full of what I think. If you think... No offense, well, you then. Who are you to tell me I'm full of And if you think think we were not ready and we stood by and let the neighborhood go off, there's nothing intelligent that I can say to you. Well, maybe you should come out and see what's going on. the stupidest thing I have ever heard. I understand you want supreme. I understand that you think that you... Mayor, you need to check your attitude. That's what you need. Okay, so clearly... Right. Here, here's a here's a guy who's trying to represent his, his district and he's trying to voice his concern. Now, this this particular alderman, Alderman Lopez, he's had half his businesses burned out in his district. He's got gangbangers walking around in his district on the streets with AK-47s. He's asking the mayor, we need to do something about this. What are we going to do? And she tells him what he's full of in the midst of all mm-hmm. that. How in the world can you even say that to somebody? How? I mean, I know it's I know how she's able to say it because she's she's turned her back on everything. So she pledged her allegiance to something else. So she's not for America anymore. She's not for the people any longer at all. So this is a conundrum that we're in because you have these particular people that are in positions like this in these cities. You have these mayors, you have these governors that are on board with the people that are out there in the streets burning stuff down. They're on board with it. So the police officers walking out. That doesn't help matters. I know what they're trying to do. I I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to send the message. I I get that. You know, I've worked side by side with a lot of you cops over there, and you're great people. You're some of the best men and women we've got. And I have nothing but respect for you because I know what you deal with on a daily basis. Believe me, I've been out there with you doing it. But leaving other officers that are going to go to work fending for themselves, they're then not going to respond to the calls. They're going to sit in their cars because they're not going to go take a call if they don't have backup. They're not going to respond to that uh, that possible shooting, which we talked about Chicago shootings yesterday, just in the last three days. So when police officers, when good police officers, we need good police right now more than anything else. And it's not because of these mayors that we need to do this. We need good police precisely because we have these people. These are the people that need to be arrested. The mayors, the governors, the ones that are preventing good police from doing their jobs and keeping law and order. They have to, don't you understand? They have to destroy law and order. They have to destroy it. That's part of the structure of the traditional system of the United States. You men and women that wear the uniform, you swear an allegiance to our founding principles. You're deeply rooted in that tradition of law, of order, of justice, of which they stand against. So you have to be attacked, not by we the people, not by us in the public, but by the collaborators and the traitors from up above you in that apparatus, that particular organ of power. They have to demonize that because they have turned their back on the system that you swore an oath to represent. They swore an oath to represent that same system. However, they turned their back on it. There's a difference. They are not good people. You are. The public needs good officers. We need to keep law and order because you, you men and women that are in uniform, you're the only thing standing in between we the people and total anarchy. You hear that term, a thin blue line? What's never been thinner than it is right now, ever. And so I understand where the police are at. I I understand it. I I really do. But simply walking off the job, which I don't blame you. I I really don't. I, I don't. 
at the end of the day because of what's being done. But the media, the, the politicians, the administrators, everything, it seems like it's against you. But in the eyes of the public, the general public, I'm not talking about the hordes in the streets and, and the uneducated masses. I'm not talking about that. If you look at the public opinion polls, they show overwhelming support for keeping police departments. Police departments are not systemically racist. What nonsense is that? What nonsense is that? Who believes that? Public opinion polls in the United States, depending on where you are, are upwards of 80% to keep police departments and police officers. People trust the police, as we should. And they know that if we remove that apparatus, then total anarchy will ensue. And see, as you can take a look at Chaz or Chop or whatever in the hell it is out there in Seattle, if you look at that, what's the first thing they did? What's the first thing they did? After they ran the police out of the district, what's the first thing they did? They created an armed gang of vigilantes to, quote, keep order. You just created the very system that you say that you abhor and you get people killed. You've got total anarchy in there. There's no law and order. Two murders that we know of have happened in there that we know of. Possibly a third. I heard this morning, possibly a third. Mm -hmm. We can't even get investigators in there to find out what in the hell happened. So, again, I, I don't blame I don't blame you, police officers. I, I don't. Uh, you're, you're good people. You really are. And I have nothing but respect for you, as I said. But walking off the job, walking off the job is not is not the right step here. And I, I again, I understand why you want to do it to send a message. But what of we the people? What of us in, in the communities? Those of us that rely on you to keep order. Those of us that rely on you for safety. Those of us that rely on you to help protect our neighborhoods, our children. What about those? What about those people? What are your thoughts? Honestly, I, I'm I'm in agreement that uh, that's not the right step. I don't think uh, to to have law enforcement go on strike. But at the same time, I, I'm torn because that is a good statement. At the same time, because it, it'll show I don't know. Because then again, it's not the people that's doing this. It, it's not the maybe the people need to stand up and and just start demanding that the mayor resigns or something. I mean, there yes. needs to be more of an outcry from yes. from the average person and, and in support of law enforcement. And unfortunately, yes. we're not seeing that currently. You know, I think you just hit it right on the head there. We talked yesterday about the extremist revolution and what can we do? You mentioned something about running for public office. We've mm-hmm. had that discussion on and off in the past. And yeah, yes, I agree that you have to get good people in there. And you know something? People on average, they don't want to do that. I mean, I, I was asked to go into politics 15 years ago. And you know what? I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. Honestly, I don't want to sit here and do this. I got other things to do. I really do. I got Mm -hmm. other things to do. But it's our obligation to speak out. We have ignored our civic duty as good citizens of our respective country. And it's our turn now to speak out. These mayors, these governors, they should be arrested. No question. No question. Where's the public outcry? Like you just said, Bruce, where's the public outcry? Where's the counter protest? Peaceable assembly. Where's the peaceable assembly for a redress of grievances to the city mayors? Where's that? Where's the redress of grievances to the state governors? We started to have them, didn't we? We started to have them. COVID, people were showing up at state houses. Good people were showing up there, cleaning up after themselves, being peaceful, standing side by side with police, calling for resignations of governors, calling for resignations of mayors. So, they had to form a counter protest to that, didn't they? Mm. They triggered those riots. There's your counter protest to what happens when you stand up. And so they throw that at us. It's our responsibility to throw something else back at them. So people have to get back out there. Where'd they go? 
Where all you protesters that were at the state houses and the and the, the city halls, where did you go? Where are you? Why did you go back home? What they lifted the lockdown, but they triggered the riots, so you went home. Why are you not back down there at those state houses? Why are you not back down there at those city halls demanding that those people come out in handcuffs? Where are you? Where did you go? You have got to get back out there and demand that these people be held accountable for what they're doing. I don't see any other way. I I don't see any other way. Uh, We have that right as Americans. We have that right to peaceably assemble and to redress our government for grievances. And so we need to act on it. People need to act on it. Let's jump over to D.C. So Trump is going to issue an order on U.S. monuments. And they're saying that he's going to uh, threaten force against D.C. protesters. Is this like the ones that were out there with families that uh, Chuck Schumer was talking about in front of the White House when when the Mm. tear gas was used? (laughs) Uh uh So Trump told reporters at the White House, he says they're not taking down our monuments. I will have an executive order very shortly. When is this? This is today, uh, about four hours ago. He said, they're not taking down any of our monuments. He told reporters, I will have an executive order very shortly. And all it's going to really do is reinforce what's already there, but in a more uniform way. Trump also on Tuesday announced an authorization effective immediately to arrest anyone caught hurting a commemoration to an armed services member on federal land and threatened to use force on protesters in Washington. You know, Senator Tom Cotton, we talked about him the other day. And I want to get your take on this, Bruce. Uh, okay. Senator Tom Cotton, he came out the other day. And I well, it might have been yesterday. I think it was yesterday. He has said that we need to federally prosecute people that attack our monuments and give them a mandatory 10-year prison sentence. What do you think on that? What's your thoughts on that? Hmm. So I agree with the sentiment, but at the same time... I don't I don't want to start litigating these uh, uh, monuments as being so important. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they're monuments. Yeah, they're meant to, uh, you know, respect uh, and honor past heroes. And but I don't know, I, I feel like we already have things in place for damaging and destruction of, of government property. So yes. we don't really need to specifically have something else for monuments, in my opinion. But well, if they're hell bent on tearing down everything, yeah, if they're hell bent on tearing down everything that which I mean, it's only a matter of time before they start heading up to Mount Rushmore, you know. So, right. If they're hell bent on tearing up everything, I mean, there's got to be some type of a punishment for this. And it has to be done on on a federal level. You can't try them in state court. The state courts are too corrupt at this point with all these judges. You can't do that. You got to try them at the federal level in the midst of all this. So on top of that, I mean, if they go to D.C., you're damaging federal property anyway. So there again, you're trying them in federal court. You've got to. You've got to. I mean, I don't know. I I still I still fall under the. Okay, so the the reason I'm still so adamant about this is the, the founders, they didn't like the idea of having a uniform universal flag. Like, you know, for the U.S., like it, it took mm-hmm. a while for for us to actually have a flag or a national anthem or any of those things. And part of the reason for that is, is they didn't want people to idolize those items. Right. Kind of the same thing with the, the monuments. And so the spirit of it, in my opinion, yes, we put those in place as a memorial, as a reminder, as a thank you. But at the same time, don't idolize it and make it to where it's like, a, a, that's probably not the right wordage. but. I, I don't want it to become CCP like to where you you deface or defame the flag or the national anthem or, you know, one of the monuments you're going to prison. You damage government property, not you defaced or defamed. You know, I, I'm, I'm concerned with where we draw the line, where that ends. You know, it, are, are, are we going to continue down that path and say, well, if anybody speaks against 
the national anthem or if anybody you know says anything derogatory about our you know one of our monuments or something are, are you going to prison for that i mean it, it's it's kind of a slippery slope a little bit so just saying it's federal property prosecute them for damaging federal property i think is adequate in my opinion you know they're citing a uh, uh something here called the veterans memorial act and it says the federal government mm-hmm. has had the power to jail or fine anyone vandalizing or destroying a memorial for 17 years under the veterans memorial act so I mean, if they have that already, well, then why would Tom Cotton come out and ask for a 10 year? I mean, 17 up to 17 years. That seems I mean, if, if it's already there on the books, then wh- why are we not even entertaining the idea of, of any kind of prosecution, even if it's for a short term, say six months, three to six months, you know, 90 to yeah. 180 days? I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable at all. And say like a five thousand dollar fine or something. Well, the thing about it is, is it's going to be on the rec- on your record. So, I mean, these people don't care about records. You- Anarchists don't no, care about records. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, when they come to their senses and they get older, they might. But, you know, currently they won't. But, yeah. You, you make it sound like anarchists actually have a long lifespan. They don't. They're destructive. They're self-destructive. So, like, they're trying. They're out there right now. They're trying to fill a void in their useless life. Right. They've had a life of growing up in the education system, not having uh, a good family, not having someone that cares about them. And they've been in their mother's basement most of their lives, hitting the meth pipe. And now they've come out. This is what their existence is. They have no connection to any type of patriotism. They have no connection to any type of knowledge. They have no connection to any type of tradition. They have no connection to any type of love. They have no connection to any type of religion or family. Nothing. So they're acting out. Now, the question is, is how do you fix that? Or can you? Can you even fix that? Because I would argue that that's a permanently damaged way of thinking. If you have someone that's out there trying to fill a void and their only purpose for existing is violence and uh, and destruction and mayhem, well, then you belong in prison, don't you? I, I can't. OK, so the way of thinking is, yes, that specific way of thinking is destructive. Yes. But as far as the person that is thinking that, are they no longer redeemable? I don't know about that. So I don't know. I, I guess that that's kind of a difficult one for me to say. I don't know. I, I know uh, I know of some people that were anarchists at one point, and now they're they're still kind of anarchists, but they're more of an anarchist anarcho-capitalist. They're, they're more for smaller government and having everything privatized. I was going to say an anarcho-capitalist. So that's what they're working for George Soros or, or what? No, no. So they believe in a smaller government and anything that the government would typically run under our current system would be privatized. So TSA, private cops, private, any, any kind of like, you know, education department, private health department, private, you know, everything privatized other than the military and some of the the base stuff. You know, I wouldn't really call that uh, anarcho capitalist. I I would call that I'd call that liberal, wouldn't you? Well, it's uh, classical, classical liberal, not obviously not a modern liberal. Modern liberal is, I mean, yeah, we, we talked about that the other day, but a classical liberal, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what it was. You, you allowed the free market to work. That's that's where you had laissez faire. So you had no government involvement in any kind of business. However, I mean, everything was privatized. However, you still had the local community and you still had a somewhat government body that would facilitate what was going on in society through ruling councils. Right. Yeah. But anarcho capitalists don't believe the government should have any control at all. Other than oh, like military, okay. you know, protecting okay. 
protecting us from foreign adversaries. Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. about all they, in my understanding, anyway. That that's basically all they believe the government should have. Well, you taught me a new term today, anarcho-capitalist. I didn't realize that there was such a thing. I do believe we are at time today. We're going to have to punch out a couple of minutes early here because we got something else we got to work on. But uh, thank you for your time today, Bruce. Thanks for sitting down. Always a fantastic conversation. I know that we got some new listeners and I know that uh, a lot of people out there are looking for a different kind of voice. Well, you know, I hope that... um, I hope that by you subscribing, I hope that by you listening and and telling other people if you like what you hear, uh, I hope that we are that somewhat alternative voice. We're not radio people. We're not broadcasters. We're just people. We're just folks, just like the rest of you. But it's our time to speak. We have to speak and we have to speak now. We don't have time to wait anymore. We can't decide whether or not, oh, is it a good time to speak out? We don't have a choice any longer. They've put us in this position and we have to act on it. So if you want mainstream media talking points, well, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you, I think everybody knows where to go. But we're not that. And we try to break things down as best we can based on our own analysis, our own our own personal knowledge and how we see things. What we are, as Marty's put us here several times before, which we're going to have him coming up on Friday. Uh, we're going to be talking some UK stuff on Friday. What we are is observers. And I don't like what I'm observing. I don't like what I'm seeing. And so this is what we do. We sit here and we we voice our opinions about it every day. And we thank all of you for listening. We thank you very much. And so tomorrow, like I said, tomorrow, we're going to get into how socialists structure their organizations. And we're going to talk about how they structure the rank and file and how they sell you their message. That's what we're going to discuss. Those of you who do follow us on Parler, thank you very much for that. Appreciate all of the follows the likes, the upvotes, the echoes, whatever you want to call them. Appreciate that. And those of you who have not followed us on Parler, if you're looking to get off of Twitter, if you're looking for another social platform that's a little bit more welcoming and a little bit more friendly and possibly along the lines of what you think uh, without too much pushback from an angry mob, then uh, do give Parler a check. You can follow me over there at Anderson 3 You can also follow Marty at Marty Foster. And we look forward to hearing your comments, your feedback, your echoes, your your upvotes, all of that stuff. So we welcome all that. And like I said earlier today to someone else, we do try to respond to all of your feedback. uh, And we do appreciate that you send it to us. I mean, without feedback, we can't improve. Bruce, thank you for your time today. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.